identity because it's important. We hold to identities with, in regards to religion, politics, family, and we hold our identities because they represent who we are. Even in this church, we have an identity in the community, in our family members, and everything that we are, we have an identity. The identity that you and I have is shared. As a member of Altoona Regular Baptist Church, it's important to know our identity in Christ. And what we're going to find today is that First Peter is going, and Peter here is going to show us our most important identity is in God. And when we see exactly how God sees us, we should be encouraged. Because our identity is not based on any actions that we've done. Anytime you look at what God's done for us, we can, just, we can recognize how little we've done to achieve salvation. To know that it's all through the work of Christ. To know that it's all through his grace in our lives. And it should bring us joy. And it should make us express that joy in regards to our relationships. So join me in 1 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 10 today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stones that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're humbled to know that once we are not a people, but now we are your people. And once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We're thankful that our identity is not found in ourselves, not found in what we do, but you. And the fact that you loved us and sent your son to die on the cross for our sins to make us yours, to reconcile us back to you. Help us to see who we are in Christ and it might motivate us to live like who we are in Christ. Bless this time in your word, in your son's name. Amen. The first four verses of our passage today, verses four through eight, we're going to see a spiritual building. We're in a building right now, and buildings have foundations. We're going to see the foundation of that building, and we're going to see that we ourselves are a part of that building. So join with me at verse four, chapter two, verse four, follow along. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 4, we find that 
Jesus is the living stone. A living stone, not just to the believer, but to the unbeliever. And to the unbeliever is a stone of stumbling. The question here is, why would people reject Jesus? So if Jesus is this real living stone, if Jesus is this real living rock that the church is built on and that, that hope for all of eternity is built on, why would they reject Christ? They're blind to the gift of salvation. And we see this being prophesied, this, this very thing being spoken of elsewhere in Scripture. Psalm 118, verses 19 to 24 says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Verse 22 of Psalm 118, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous on our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Many of you have, have lived a lot of life experiences and you've seen the gospel be offensive to people. The gospel, although hopeful, is offensive to people that don't want to believe in a God that cares and loves for them. The gospel that says that they're sinners. Because we know that everybody loves to be told that they're wrong and that they're sinners. It's easy to say that people should just accept the gospel. It's a free gift. But your neighbors and your coworkers and my neighbors and my coworkers don't want to be told that without Jesus Christ they're going to hell. And they don't want to acknowledge that that exists. And it's a sad reality, but it's it's a sobering reality at that that helps us to see the backdrop for for this spiritual building, this spiritual house that is being built. Look at verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 21 through 22 says, In whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a temple unto the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's reminiscent of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Our lives are a spiritual sacrifice. It's the idea that because Jesus Christ has died for my sins, he's paid for my eternal soul in heaven, because he's paid for my destiny, I offer up my life to him. He's given his life for me, and and I live my life as a spiritual sacrifice. A royal priesthood, as we'll see later. Priests would go directly to God on behalf of the people and they'd bring the sins before the people and they would shed a a sacrifice before God. And we see that that our lives are this spiritual sacrifice that really helps us to, to, to see it for what it is. It's an offering that we give because we're responding to truth. When the nation of Israel sacrificed rams, to God, they were, they were offering a sacrifice in response to the acknowledgement of their sin. They acknowledged their sin before God. They confessed their sin before God. And in response, they gave a sacrifice to God. They, they fulfilled their, their peace of the covenant. We are called to be 
sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice the words he uses, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, the renewal of your mind, that the te- by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is acceptable and perfect. The renewal of our mind, the, the, the not being conformed to the world, it, it results in different actions. It results in us being refreshed by the word of God, being refreshed by our walk with God, and going forward and living life differently. And for, for all of us here, we have many different challenges. Some of us are, are plagued by temptations of many different varieties, and we have to face those temptations every single day, but we also have to understand why we're doing those, why we're fighting those things, and why we are doing that. We're doing that to be a living sacrifice to God. We're doing that because we love our God, and we acknowledge what he's done for us. And next we're going to see in verse 6 the prophecy of this cornerstone. It's actually a reference found in Isaiah 28, verse 16. We'll look at verse 6 with me. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Isaiah reference reads, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. The coming of this stone has been promised and will be delivered upon in the last days. This promise is Jesus, the sure foundation of our hope. And the the beautiful piece of this picture is that this promise is made to Israel, but is also realized in the last days. And we are a part of God's plan in the future, in the the thousand-year kingdom. We are a part of God's plan to realize the promises that he's been given, that he has given to us in Scripture, and the, the promises give, he's given to the people of Israel in Scripture. And this cornerstone is the foundation. We, we come to church and we, and we think through, maybe if you're a Sunday school teacher, what's the most important thing I can teach to a five-year-old or a six-year-old, or maybe a, a, a 10 or 12-year-old, and you think, what's the one thing I want to make sure they understand? I want to make sure they know who Jesus is. Because if you come to church and you don't know who Jesus is, this book doesn't make any sense. He is the cornerstone. He is the solid foundation. He is the, the point of this gospel. The point of this message is that we would understand who Jesus is and respond accordingly. Jesus is the stone that the church is built upon. In Matthew 16, verse 16 through 18, says, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what the church is built on. Their implications here of this foundation. Their implications for what we have just read. We find those in verses 7 and 8. Let's read those verses. 
So the honor is for you who believes, for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. For the believer, the stone is precious. As I was studying this, I found that there was even the, the Greek word for this had the idea of affection in the definition. To have, find this word precious, to, to have all your affection directed towards this. When the believer knows that they are a child of God, they, they direct their affection, their attention, their love back to God. And it's only logical for someone who has been loved so much by God to love God in return. I was lucky enough to grow up in a Christian household where my parents loved me and, and they, they taught me how to, to seek Christ. And my parents displayed love to me in the good times and the bad times. And, and because of the love they showed to me, we built a relationship. And that relationship results in me reciprocating that in love to them and appreciation to them. And that love is something we ought to to, to be well aware of it in our relationship with God. But unfortunately, there is the unbeliever who rejects this love, does not respond accordingly. It's become a stumbling block. And it's because of their own blindness to the, to the message of the gospel, their own error, that they do not see that this is good news that they have said, I reject that Jesus Christ is anything I should hope in. This is not something I can, I can trust in or depend on. I can't see it. I can't trust it. I can't feel it. It's not for me. And it's something we all have seen. We all know what that looks like for someone to reject the gospel. And for this unbeliever, this stone of stumbling is something that causes them to doubt it maybe causes them to, to lash out and say that Christians are, are dumb or ill-informed or they, they, don't, they, they, they lack the ability to understand science. Or maybe they, they, just, they can't understand the world the way it ought to be understood. The stone of stumbling here is the same stone. The stone has not changed. In the same way that Jesus' message of hope, Jesus' message of the gospel has not changed, and yet people choose to reject it all the time. And we've seen that, that we are this spiritual house being built up, these living stones, and it's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture that we can all understand. If you think, just think of your own house. How many little facets of your house have to come together to make it livable. You have to have air conditioning, you have to have carpet, you have to have drywall, you have to have all these things that work together. And you have to have these things that are constantly being added and changed and fixed. And this spiritual house is being built by God. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who he's investing in, who he's, he's transforming their lives more in the image of his son. And he's building this spiritual house to glorify himself, to make each and every one of you more like Christ. And each, each person here grows to be more like Christ when they tr depend on the spirit, when they trust in God, when they allow him to change them. And it, this is where we find ourselves at a turning point in the passage 
In fact, the turning point in the book, from here on out, Peter is going to, instead of saying, this is the truth that God has done for you, he's going to say, now do this as a result. So God has done this for you. This is how you should respond. And this is kind of the turning point for the book. This is the last piece of our identity we're going to get. And there are four defining characteristics here. There's four defining identities. And it's found in verse 9 and 10. So let's read verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, may, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love this verse here. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's very simple language. It's a list of four things and then two comparisons. And these four things and these two comparisons help us to, to realize just how much those simple things change our lives. So let's go through those things. The first identity here is a chosen race. We are selected. We are picked individually, acknowledged and known by our God. We are known by the God that put the, that put the stars in the sky, that put everything in place. We're known by him, and we're chosen by him. Some familiar passages here. Jeremiah 1.5, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Isaiah 41, 9, I brought you out of the ends of the earth and called you out from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know that Yahweh, your God, is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations. We're a chosen people. Romans tells us that Whoever God chooses, he goes down the list. He predestines, he conforms, he glorifies. That whole list, we'll see it later on. But God knows what he's doing. God has selected you, God has picked you, and God has chosen to glorify himself in you. And he knows you. You know, there are times in life when it's good just to have someone who knows you well next to you. Maybe they don't have all the perfect words to say. Maybe they don't have all of the right verses to, to pull out. But maybe they're just there with you. And knowing that they know what you're going through helps in that struggle. And we can know that God knows our tears. He knows our fears. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows us. And God knows you, and you, and you. And that should be so comforting to us, that God has chosen us. God has picked us. The second thing is a royal priesthood. We are the children of God, with our sins covered by the works of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We are a royal priesthood. We are children of God, positionally perfect before God, and we now stand before God boldly and confidently with the blood of Jesus Christ covering our sins, saying that we can come to our Creator and ask for help and to love Him and to praise Him for everything He's done for us, even in the difficult times, because we know that He's gone through those tears. He's gone through those struggles, and he's gone through those challenging times. Thirdly, a holy nation. I think of Israel here. Think back to Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they had come into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel camped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you out to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure, possession among all the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then think in Leviticus, the reading of the law, where it says, You shall be holy to me, for the Lord. For I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from those people, that you should be mine. 1 Peter 13, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 21, just the previous chapter, says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will that." will be brought to you at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as you, has he called you to be holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Make no mistake, God is holy. And that fact shapes a lot of different things about our Christian life. The fact that God is holy demands that we strive for that same reflection of, our who, of who our God is. Because God is holy, we see that our sin is so wretched. Because our God is so holy, sin must be punished. Because our God is holy, we ought to strive to be holy. Not to achieve salvation and make the cross useless, but to reflect the God we love so much and to glorify him with everything we are. Fourthly, a people for his own possession. 
Psalm 135, verse 4, For Yahweh has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his treasured possession. Psalm 33, 12, Happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. And Romans 8, 28 through 30, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, to those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our God has chosen us. Our God has selected us. And our God has given us an identity that is worth far more than gold. Oftentimes, things that are seemingly worthless or seemingly invaluable can become valuable by who wears them. Michael Jordan's sneakers sold for $560,000. $560,000. They probably cost 20 bucks to make, 30, 40 bucks to make tops. But they went for $560,000. Because this basketball god wore them. They became valuable. The slippers that were worn during the Wizard of Oz, the ruby slippers, $660,000. This iconic movie has made these small pair of slippers, which are not invaluable, they're, they're not worth nothing, but the materials alone are not worth $660,000. They're valuable because of who made them and the purpose for which they were made. You and I were made by the God of the universe. We were made to glorify the God of the universe, the single most important being to ever exist. That is why you have value. That's why I have value. That's why we have value, because we were made to glorify God by God for God. And then these final two statements of just genuine encouragement. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were not a people. You were alone. You didn't have an identity. You were without Christ. You had no standing with God. Think back to the Hebrews passage. Now we have the confidence to go before God boldly. But now you, are, you have a pure, perfect identity with Christ because he died for your sins. Now you stand before God, a child, a royal priesthood. Be encouraged. Know that your God loves you. Your God has made you to have this identity. And the second one, you have, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, I think sometimes we throw around these terms like mercy, grace, love, all those things, and the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians, and we, we, we just toss them around like they're nothing. These words mean a lot, and even just saying them in a different way can really impact us. Once you had not received mercy... You were condemned to hell. You are in need of a savior. 
You were filthy. And you were in need of mercy. And God saw that need and he said, I'm going to give you that mercy in the form of my son. I'm going to sacrifice my son so that you can have mercy and reconcile you back to me. And he gave us that mercy, and now we have received mercy. Now we are innocent, we are clean, we are glorified before God. And now we see that God has done so much to give us this new identity in him, and God has loved us so much and just lavished this grace upon us so much. And it's good to be reminded of these things. It's good to be reminded of how good our God is to us. And it ought to affect how we live. Christian, you are a child of God. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And you are loved by God. How do you respond to that? How do you personally respond to that? I want to close by reading a passage, Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and now and strangers to the covenant and promise of Israel, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both and has broken down his flesh, dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and and might reconcile us both back to God, both to God, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our God is good. Our God loves us. Our God has given us an identity that is worth more than gold. Let's rejoice. Let's have joy. And let's use this encouragement in our identity, who we are in Christ, to motivate us to share that joy with your coworker, with the gas station attendant, with your family members, just to, to live life with joy so someone can see how you are living, your attitude of life, and they can wonder why you can have so much joy and you can share them with them that you have a God that loves you. And he loves them too. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. I thank you for the identity that you have made us into. I pray that the joy that we have experienced as Christians can continue to be spread, and that we would love others around us with the gospel, and that we would share the gospel, 
that we would live lives abundantly because we know who our God is. We know who our Savior is. Help us this week to be disciplined in our devotions and disciplined in our prayer life. And I pray that as we gather prayer requests tonight, that we would sincerely gather together and sincerely pray to the Lord, just praying that you would answer them in your timing and your way. In your son's name, we pray these things. Amen.